uh, specifically at um, some of the signs or miracles that Jesus performs. And uh, so we're going to start in John chapter 2. I've got it on page uh, 1110 in my, my Bible. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, that's a very bad sentence at a wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus replied, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's like, uh, you know how Grand Rapids, City of Grand Rapids has like the, the big, middle, and small size like trash bins? The small trash bins are like 30 gallons. There's six of those full of water. That's a lot of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew where it had come from. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. So let's say you're the Son of God. You have existed eternally with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, But now it's the time for you to save the world. Um, A couple of things I think are going to need to happen for you to save the world if you're the Son of God. For starters, you're going to have to prove to people that you are in some way exceptional. uh, That you're powerful, that you are uh, capable, that you're different from everybody else who's offering some kind of salvation or help in the world. that, That you offer something different and better. And second, you need to convince people to put their faith in you, to really trust you with their lives. So, uh, you get incarnate, virgin birth, uh, born in a manger, 30 years, you're just kind of doing your thing, just living your life, but then around age 30, you kick the whole project into high gear. Uh, You get your team together, right? 12 disciples, uh, and you hit the road. Okay, so this is basically where we're at at the beginning of John chapter 2. Jesus has just gotten his team together. He's hitting the road. Now, since you are the Son of God, you've got a few tools in your toolbox. You're a great teacher, for instance. Maybe the best ever. That's going to help. You are also without sin, which is very good. But, of course, the ace in the hole, the real showstopper, is the miracles, right? You can do miracles. 
So you're the Son of God. You're trying to prove your glory. You're trying to get people to put their faith in you. Exactly what kinds of miracles might you want to perform to really make an impression on the world? Like, what would really make someone put their faith, their hope for salvation in you? For starters, maybe heal some sick people, right? That's very popular. Um, You could do a little walking on water, which is always pretty cool. Um, You could raise someone from the dead. That always, I mean, that always really makes an impression. Or, again, you are your God, right? So you could do something flashier, right? So maybe you bust out like some pyrotechnics, right? So you like you stand in front of a crowd and just like shoot out fireworks from your hands. Like, why not, right? Or like you could do like a Superman. Like, do you remember when, when Lois Lane dies in the first Superman and then Superman flies around the world so fast that he makes it spin backwards and then time goes in reverse and then he saves Lois? Like, why not, right? Like, if you can do miracles, you've got options, right? Stuff that will make a real impression on people. People would totally put their faith in you if they saw you do one of these things. Well, these next two months, we're going to be looking at miracles, and specifically the miracles in the Gospel of John. Now, of course, there's miracles in every one of the four Gospels, but uh, John is unique in two respects. The first is that he numbers the miracles. At least this one and and the one next week. So he tells us this is the first one and this is the second one. Um, And the other thing is that he doesn't just call them miracles. He calls them signs. And in our passage today, John uh, says that this thing with the water and the wine and the wedding, this is the first sign. And I guess the first thing to say about this this miracle, this water into wine thing, is that I didn't see it coming. Um, right? Normally, you think about a, a miracle. You think, all right, the stakes have to be very high. Right? So a few chapters from now, Jesus is going to save this Roman official's son, and he's like on the brink of death. He's so sick, right? And and then like later he's gonna he's gonna save Bartimaeus. From blindness. And then uh, he's going to save Lazarus from actually being dead. Okay? So here's my question What exactly is Jesus saving people from in our story today? I mean, I get it, right? Like, I mean, weddings were a big deal in ancient cultures, like, big deal. Like, everybody in town showed up, lasted a bunch of days, and if you're going to party for a week, like, you need something to keep you going. Like, I see the role of the wine. Like, I get why this is important. And running out, that's a big deal. Um, it's a major oversight. And there's no question that this will be embarrassing for the family that's hosting the party. This small town, you can just imagine, people will be talking about this for years. But, and I think this is important to say, that's it. I mean, people will talk, and the host will be embarrassed. That's it. Like, like nobody, nobody's dying here. Nobody's sick. They're, they'll be embarrassed. And I mean, obviously, like, being embarrassed is not fun, but does it really warrant 
a miracle of the Son of God, let alone his first one. I mean, if you're the Son of God and you want people to actually put their faith in you, to trust you with their lives, if you want to demonstrate your glory to save the world, you're going to need to do more than just like save a family from embarrassment, right? But here's the interesting thing. Look at verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. <laughs> in other words, it worked. Uh, John tells us this miracle, like saving a party from being lame, like revealed Jesus' glory, and, his Jesus, and Jesus' disciples put their faith in him. So here's the question. Like, what was so glorious about what they saw? And what about this made them put their faith, like their eternal hope, in Jesus? Well, to understand this, I think it helps to know something about the Jewish temple. Okay. Which I bet you didn't expect me to say. Um, so the temple, or uh, when we talked about it last year, we were talking about the tabernacle, which was like the temple before the temple. Um, it was this place in the Old Testament where the Israelites would go to worship God, it, like sacrifices, offerings, prayers, things like that. But this is important. So the reason they worshipped at the temple was not just because it was a convenient location. They worshipped at the temple because they believed that the temple was a thin place. What I mean by that is they believed that it was a place where heaven, where God is, and earth, where we are, was especially close together. It's a place where God's reality and our reality kind of overlapped with each other. And I bring this up because in the Jewish worldview, wine and weddings were not just fun things, but wine and weddings were some of the most common images to describe God's reality. To describe what heaven is like. So like the prophets Amos and Jeremiah, they talk about like the day of the Lord, this day of like heaven arriving. They talk about how the wine will be flowing from God's mountain. Or Isaiah 25 is probably the most famous uh, talks about this day when death will be swallowed up. You know, Paul picks up that, that language from Isaiah 25 in, in uh, his epistles. But uh, it talks about this day when death will be swallowed up, and then the next thing that happens is God will put on a feast of uh, rich food and f- the finest wines. And Christians, Christians have picked up this language too. So in Revelation 19, it's the end of the Bible, sort of talking about like what heaven is like. And it says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's one of the images for like what's happening in heaven. It's this wedding feast of the Lamb. And then Revelation 21 describes the new heavens and the new earth coming down. So this is like the consummation of all of time as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So the the Bible's depictions of heaven are loaded with wine and wedding imagery. So, 
when Jesus saves this wedding in John chapter 2, he's not just bailing out one particular family uh, in one particular town from embarrassment. He's doing something else. He's bringing heaven a little bit closer to earth. He's bringing God's reality from something that is far and distant to something that is here and now. Or another way you could say it, it's almost like Jesus is giving a preview of heaven right here in this small town. And I think this is part of the, a theme of Jesus' miracles in the Gospel of John and a big reason why he doesn't do the pyrotechnics or the Superman flyover. Um, the reason Jesus doesn't do like the Superman flyover is not because he can't do it. Although, even just saying that, like I'm, I'm not sure, I guess I've not really thought about whether he can do it. I think he can do it, I, but I haven't thought about it. But what I have thought about is the reason why he doesn't do it is because his miracles are not mostly about impressing people. They're about giving a window into what heaven is like. So in this case, he was showing that heaven is a place of abundance and celebration. And so by bringing abundance and celebration back to this wedding, uh, Jesus is showing that he is like a, he's like a new temple. Um, if you want to be part of that heavenly action, you need to be where Jesus is. Right? That is the place where heaven and earth are closer together. Where God's reality and our reality overlap. They overlap in Jesus. So it's like when Jesus is around, you can almost reach out and touch heaven right from where you are on earth. It's that close. And if you don't believe me, go back one verse. Chapter 1, verse 51. Which is a really weird verse if you don't understand what I'm talking about. Okay? So, Jesus has just called Nathanael to be one of his disciples. Um, and Nathanael, he's right away, like, really impressed with Jesus. Um, he's ready to follow Jesus. But then Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's weird, right? You did not expect him to say that. Um, do you see the image? Heaven is open. Angels are going up and down. What are they going up and down on? The Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Okay. So what exactly is Jesus in this image? He, people are going up and down on him. He's like a ladder, right? Or uh, like, a, I don't know, maybe like a staircase or a, a bridge, maybe. Jesus is like this connection point between heaven and earth. That's the concept. Wherever Jesus goes, earth and heaven are linked. They're not so far apart as we usually experience them. And so with this miracle, with the wine and all this stuff, it's not about impressing the crowd. Because not even that many people at the wedding even knew what was going on, right? It was about giving a glimpse of heaven, providing a sign, providing a signal that when Jesus is around, the hope of heaven is not like distant and far away and remote. It is coming here and it is now. Okay, 
Maybe you say, okay, well, that's interesting. What does it have to do with us? Well, I did it again this, this morning. I do this thing. I don't remember when I started exactly, but it's become important to me anyway to point this out every week when we gather. Um, of course, I pray for this time when we get together. And I tell you about that prayer, and I tell you about how, you know, uh, whatever's been going on in your week, um, uh, our prayer is that those who gather here will have an encounter with the living God. Right? I say that every week. Um, and then I say, and the good news for us this morning is what? That the living God is here. Well, according to these miracles in John, what does it mean if God is near? Like, like what does it mean when Jesus shows up? It means heaven and earth are a little bit closer here. Right? It means heaven's not like way off in the future for us in a galaxy far, far away. It's like right at hand. And I think about this every week because um, I know in some superficial ways we might be similar, right? We live in like the same part of town, maybe have some common experiences, but I know you all well enough to know like you are all like really different people, <laughs> like with really different attitudes and, and um, cultures and backgrounds and priorities. But then every week you all like come together to this place to do the same thing, to worship God. And you know where that happens, right? Like, you know where people from like different tribes and languages and people and nations worship God together. That happens in heaven. Right? Part of the reason, part of the reason we sing these songs in different languages, uh, it's not because like we're expecting some guy from Zimbabwe who speaks Hosa to like show up and be like, oh, finally I found a church that speaks my language, right? Like, um, it's. I mean, that would be cool if it happened. But that's not, not the first thing that's on our mind. The reason that we do it is because we, when we gather here, we're like participating in something like heaven. And in heaven, the guy from Zimbabwe who's singing in Hosa, like we're going to be singing with him, right next to him. So we better start practicing now, right? I mean, that's, that's why we do these, these different songs. Um, but I want to say it's not just in worship. So, I was worship that is worship is not the only place where we experience heaven like now. So I was reading this week some really interesting stuff about what the like the ancient church, like first, second, third century, what they said about this miracle. They said all kinds of really interesting things. Um, but they, they all said that the key to the whole thing is uh, this line that Mary has in verse five. Um, do whatever he tells you. So in the story, it is when these servants do what Jesus tells them. And notice, they didn't just do it partway. Right? He just told them, to, he told them to fill those jars. But what does it say they did with the jars? They filled them what? To the brim. Right? They, they weren't just like doing what he said. They were they were pretty pumped. Like, they thought something cool was happening, right? So, um, they do what Jesus says, and that's what gets the ball rolling for that glimpse of heaven to show up in their midst. Now, I should be clear, like, and, and the ancient church was clear about this too, heaven doesn't just show up because we're doing stuff. Um, 
it's only when, when Christ is, is doing it. But God works in His church, and God works even in us, and often He's giving us parts to play. And if you want to know what part you're supposed to play, the ancient church said, we should take Mary's advice. Do whatever He tells you. And i got to tell you, I was thinking about this week, I think they're really onto something. Like, if more of us did what Jesus told us to do, you know, instead of just talking about it or thinking about it, but like if more of us did what Jesus told us to do, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Store up treasures not on earth, but in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God. Repent and believe. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, these are not, these are not flashy things. Like praying, forgiving, repenting. Like none of these are like the Superman flyover or like the fireworks display. But there's something. I think sometimes we expect that we're going to be convinced of God when we see some like big and unmistakable miracle. But this story, I think, suggests that God inspires faith often through much subtler means. Right? Most of the people who were blessed by this miracle didn't know what was going on. It was subtle. But like, just imagine if we Christians just did what He told us to do. Right? If we loved our enemies and if we forgave people and if, if we loved our neighbors and, and if, if we repented from our sins. It might not be flashy and it might not catch everyone's attention, but you know what it would be? It would be like heaven on earth. That's what it would be. Now, maybe you say, well, you know, doing that stuff, it's hard. I mean, loving your enemies, that's hard. Forgiving another person, that's hard. Maybe you say, it would be a miracle for someone to really do, for me to really do what Jesus said. But I would say, no, not a miracle. That's the wrong word. When we do what Jesus says, it's not a miracle. It's a sign. It's a sign that Jesus is here. That He's working. That heaven is not so far away. Right? Every time we do what Jesus says and we make something that's wrong a little more right or take something that's broken and make it a little more whole, it's a sign that God has not left us on our own, but that He's here. He's close by. And He's bringing heaven with Him. Alright, let's pray together. Lord, uh, we pray that where we go, um, that, that those would be thin places where um, heaven and earth, which often seem so far apart, 
would be closer. Because you are in us and you are working. Um, Lord, I pray that people around us might catch a glimpse that this world, this earth, is not all there is. That there is another reality, a reality of hope and promise and goodness, a reality filled with you. And Lord, we pray that we might be able to live our lives doing what you tell us to do in such a way that we might give people hope that that world is not so far off, but that it's close by uh, because you are with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.